Hey everyone, welcome to part two. If you haven't listened to part one yet, head over to the feed and have a listen. When you're faced with an experience of racism or any form of discrimination or harassment at work, what would you say, and again, there's, I'm sure there's a million uh, answers to this, but what would you say mm. the best way is to address it in the first place um, in your workplace? And particularly if resigning or leaving a job mm. isn't, isn't safe or an option for you, mm. what's the best way to bring it up, you know, say outside of just talking to someone from HR? How would you approach This is heartbreaking that? for me. This is a heartbreaking question for me because unfortunately our society is, is so... Um, racism is so embedded in our society that there is no safe way just yet to report it in many, and if not most organizations, um, when these incidents do occur. Mm-hmm. I have far too many stories of people who try to raise it in, in one way or another or another um, and you know, at best you get gaslit and um, you know, told you're overthinking it, mm-hmm. um, or you might get bullied, or you might get made redundant, or you might be uh, fired altogether because you're the troublemaker for raising the issue. We've got to have a really honest conversation about this because um, there there aren't currently safe ways in which to raise this up in most organisations. Having said that, some organisations who are proactive enough and forward-thinking enough are actually putting in place um, mechanisms whereby people can safely report, whether it's an incident that's happened to them overtly, whether it's uh, um, you know, a less overt incident. So reporting processes that are, uh, allow emotional safety, psychological safety um, are being set up, and pathways within organizations, whereas uh, a person who has experienced racism shouldn't have to report to a person who's never experienced racism. Yeah, about their their experience, right? Because that person doesn't actually have the lived experience and, and professional understanding to know what they're talking about. So mm-hmm. having better representation in your organisations, particularly in HR and DNI, will allow for more safer avenues of being able to report this stuff. As an individual in an organisation that you've experienced racism, if you're already unsure about how to bring that issue up, then that tells a, a lot to us. It means there's likely not going to be any obvious safe way to bring it up. Yeah. And that's what makes it so heartbreaking. Yeah, um, absolutely. Which is why the work has to be done proactively. We've got to be proactive in this. It shouldn't be left on the individual uh, to then come up with what, some magical yeah, way to solve it, to broach the issue, yeah. yeah, to solve it once it's happened. We've got to create these pathways beforehand and have a culture where people can go to a colleague that they trust or there's a culturally safe pathway to report and that they have the confidence that they're going to be at the bare minimum heard and not bullied out of the workplace. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's why we do the work that we do, you know, training, consulting, strategic thinking um, for organizations to come up with not just putting the onus on individuals to constantly learn how to not be racist, but to come up with processes, policies and procedures that make your workplace a safer place to be um, just like the rules of any game or sport are there to make the sport enjoyable, but the rules make it safe enough for it to be a legitimate sport. We don't have those rules yet in our workplaces. Just mm. yet. We don't have those processes, those procedures for the incident of racism to be uh, addressed with in a 
psychologically safe and appropriate and fair and just manner. And that's what we'd like to be able to do with organizations. So whether it's a school or university, a government department or a corporation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you say, it's, it's like, I guess we're still, we're still at such a surface level of when you enter a workplace, you, sh- you know, you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't say or do certain things, but that, that thinking is still there. And that, that those mm-hmm. systems have all been set up with all that, that thinking that we've been talking about. So, yeah, no, that's that's very fascinating as well, like having that mm-hmm. representation available to you, um, you know, to some yeah. someone to speak to, whether it's cultural um, or in, yeah, any other form. So, Irfan, we touched on, when you said, um, which I think was leads on to this well, is that it shouldn't be up to the individual to figure out a safe way to report something or to, yeah. to fi- figure out a new way that, you know, it, it, that all the um, uh, responsibility falls back on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In terms of uh, then within a workplace, the emotional labor of educating other colleagues on yeah. racism, on sexism, mm-hmm. um, I guess can you expand a little bit on on I guess that term some listeners might not even be mm. they may have heard about it but they just don't know that much about it or they don't have that lived experience totally some people have never done any emotional labor yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, no totally absolutely I think it is very much connected to the previous question of it shouldn't be on the individual so um, there are so many things I could talk to about this about the emotional labor that's expected of non-white people in workplaces to explain racism and to educate Mm. people and to help them become better allies and it's I mean to put it gently it's infuriating Um, it's really um, condescending and patronizing um, and like dishonest to be honest Um, we can work out through Google how to do anything these days Mm. how to learn Mm. about anything right children are teaching themselves how to create cryptocurrency coins through YouTube videos. You know, <laughs> like you can learn how to become like a, a counselor through an online course that you can find. You can, you know, work on how to, how to operate on your cat if you have to do an op- <laughs> emergency operations. Literally nothing you can't <laughs> learn about in this planet. And yet in the year 2022, going into 2023 now, we still have friends, allies, neighbors you know, loved ones sometimes telling us, I didn't know that. Can you help me understand, you know, a bit about racism? Like, help me be a better ally. And I think mm. that uh, that is really exhausting. Um, mm-hmm. And it just goes to show that actually you didn't, you haven't cared enough about this at all to learn anything. And now me, the one who's being oppressed by it or discriminated because of it or traumatized by it, you want me to now teach you about it without any additional remuneration or, or without uh, any uh, exchange going on or, or even if there was it's to expect that a person who's experienced racism their entire lives is now an expert race equity uh, consultant that can explain it to you and unpack it all for you yeah. is also quite absurd you know it's mm. to say just because someone's experienced um, you know depression or, or suffers from bipolar disorder uh, or has experienced anything in life doesn't mean they're an expert on the ma- on the subject matter either mm-hmm. there are thousands literally thousands of race equity consultants uh and educators and authors and documentaries out there to help us do that work and i think anyone who's genuine in wanting to create a better world and eliminating racial prejudice from society 
can just as easily put it into Google as they can how to find a video to help them do their taxes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a, bl- a great place to start is uh, going to Newkind. So. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. There's conferences all over the place we can go to, books we can read, and I can... You know, send through some links that you can add it to the to the episode release of this as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. I would. I was. Um, yeah. That was going to be something I'd love to ask. Is your I, I guess your your top or your favourites kind of go to resources totally. um, that yeah. you can people can start edu- people can start doing the work and educating mm-hmm. themselves. And yeah. there are resources I saw on your website, uh, videos, mm-hmm. reading material. So we'll we'll make sure that your website link is in there great. as a great place to start. Um, and also, um, some, some books, you are, Mm -hmm. you are an author, um, and I've actually purchased some books, which I think are going to make great end of year Christmas presents. Um, so yeah, I think everyone, um, head to, head to the, the kind enterprises website. Um, we'll we'll pop the link in the, in the notes, but the final question that is, um, that we, that we wanted to ask is essentially through this whole conversation, we've been learning about the white lens Mm -hmm. and about white power structures and unconscious bias. And we wanted to ask you through the experience of this interview, have you, noticed a white lens um of course i mean it's 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 not possible for it to not be there um because mm-hmm. like <laughs> everything comes through our lens right yes. so the question of i don't know let's see what was the last question the last question of um the emotional labor of educating your fellow colleagues like the fact that that question needs to be asked means that the the answer is isn't already known. So, yes. so that's coming from your lens, right? Yes. So every everything yes. comes through a lens. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah. So it's not like it's this obvious thing, like oh, I just noticed that there it was. It's like the entire conversation is coming from your lens. Ingrained, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So and just like mine is coming from you know an Iranian uh, heritage Baha'i raised in Australia kind of lens. Everything I yes. say comes through my lens. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not something we should be ashamed of. It's rather something we just need to acknowledge. That's all that okay. is. Once we acknowledge it, then we're like, oh, okay, that's my cultural perspective. And if white mm-hmm. people could get used to just saying those words before they start a sentence, yes. then we start understanding what we're talking about. Another example, really briefly, of what a white lens looks like. Have you? I can't remember the name of the study or which university it was. It was one of the universities in America, an old one that everyone references about this experiment where people were told to ask questions from these participants. And if they get it wrong, we're going to give them an electric shock. And if they keep getting it wrong, we're going to turn up the voltage of the shock we give them. Right? And this is an experiment that some psychologists in the United States designed and they conducted it with students from the university. And what they didn't tell the participants was that there was actually no electric shock being admitted, right? It was just an exercise to see how high up the voltage could go before the participant would think this is immoral and I can't keep doing this. And the majority of them went to a life-threatening level of voltage before they would question the authority of the researcher. 
So this study has been used and repeated over and over and over and over again to justify how people will listen to authority even if it is causing harm to other people. And they've used this to justify what the Nazis did, for example, right? Mm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What we all forget to talk about is that that was a study written by a white person about white people conducted on white people in a testing room full of white students from a specific university. If you try to conduct that experiment here in Australia with First Nations communities or in a village in India or in the middle of Delhi City or in Iran or some other part of the continent, you would have had different results. Mm. That's a white lens for you right there. Absolutely. This is, um, I'm studying psychology. This is something that comes up a lot. There's so many um, studies that have been done decades ago that Mm -hmm. are just done on white people. And now they're starting to redo them and they're realizing this is (laughs) not universal. This is right. It's a cultural perspective. (laughs) Yes. These are cultural behaviors, right? Cultures vary across time and space. So we've got to come to terms with that and finally realize that. The solutions that we need as a human family, as one race, to solve right now the complex problems we're facing cannot be solved through one particular cultural lens anymore. We need to have nuanced perspectives, complex reasoning skills, you know, the ability to have a consultation that's not influenced by power or military might or economics. You know, we can't come up with solutions to climate change and economic justice um, if we don't have open, safe spaces to have diplomatic conversation. And we, yes. we can't keep using the same resources and referencing yeah. the same things that have been yeah. set up by all these white power structures in the first place. Right. Ex- exactly, because it's not that any culture is naturally inherently f- like flawed. It's that any species in an ecosystem, if it becomes all-powerful, begins disrupting mm. the whole ecosystem. So we should not get hung up on like shame or guilt of like, oh, white, white culture is inherently this or that. It's like, no, no, no. If any individual culture had colonized the entire planet, we would have had a whole host of different issues. Mm-hmm. We need to just rebalance the ecosystem, just like a permaculture garden or a natural ecosystem. You just need to rebalance the ecosystem. That's all we've got to do. Yes. Well, I think that is a great uh, note to end on, the pursuit of rebalancing. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and thank you so much. I have learned so much through <laughs> this pod, this episode, this interview. Um, and I mean, I've, so this week I've learned uh, more than I've learned in probably a few months because <laughs> I've just been. I'm on maternity leave, and my brain doesn't get a lot of uh, of yeah. intellectual stimulation. <laughs> so this has been a big week for me. Wonderful. <laughs> well, I'm sure you've heard enough of my voice to last you the next few months. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much, Irfan. No worries. Um, it's a pleasure to, to get to meet you and to, to speak you. with you. And thank you for your generosity with your time. And you need to just get straight back to the couch and start to get back to relaxing. I've got a whole whole <laughs> vegan pizza to go through tonight. So Amazing. I'll enjoy that. Amazing. Thank, thank you very so much, much for having me. My pleasure. Holy shit. Holy shit. Never, ever have I felt like such an ultimate white dickhead. That interview was incredible. I feel so privileged. I feel guilty even to take up Irfan's time 
Uh, so thank you again, Irfan. Uh, thank you for giving us your time and sharing those insights. And and wow, what a wealth wealth of knowledge. Mm, the um, the privilege the privilege is real. Hopefully, if you are white, you've also felt what that necessary discomfort is in hearing these stories and perspectives, particularly the white lens and the white worldview, and that it's really what you need to sit in to, in order to take yourself to that next place and actually take some action and, and start to be a part of the progress. Once you begin to see the white lens and start to notice things in society and start to just try your best to see this contact lens that sits so close to your eye that, yeah, you really do start to see things, um, that you didn't see before and it is a weird feeling and a completely necessary feeling and a feeling that I welcome deeply um, because there, there is this rebalancing that needs to occur. Yeah, and I think it's um, not uh, necessarily relating it just to yourself as a person but as like kind of thinking about the bigger picture the discomfort comes from the bigger picture not just like individual behaviors necessarily yeah i think it's we have to embrace that sense of discomfort and those those key themes that we spoke about you know the the white lens the the white world view or whatever the the majority world view is uh, the unconscious bias, the fact that all of the systems that pretty much exist in our world that we operate in have, have all been made from from white uh, white colonialism. Um, it's yeah, it was. I just I thought that was so fantastic, so so revealing, so so informative. Erfan um, is such an incredible thinker, and yeah, I, I can't wait to to learn more and listen to more of his work as well. Okay, team, to keep the ball rolling, we're going to jump into an interview with Juju to learn a bit, a little bit more about her story and learn about her take on how we can rethink our approach to culture in the workplace. Juju, it is a real pleasure to get to hear your story and an even bigger pleasure to get to chat to you on the pod. For everyone who doesn't know Juju, Juju is a dear friend of Ryan and mine, and we've known Juju for probably 10 years. All the way back from the Undress days. Yeah. That's right. Joined Undress 10 years ago, was a blast. Juju is a designer, brand strategist, and change maker. She studied both fashion and graphic design and went on to work for a range of fashion designers in Australia. She founded several businesses in the sustainable fashion space, including two women's wear labels, a magazine, and was also one of the key leaders to bring undressed runways to life. Juju, you're an inspiration to Ryan and I. A design powerhouse. (laughs) She's amazing. (laughs) A creative powerhouse. So welcome to the pod. Oh, thank you, Edda and Ryan, and thank you for the kind words. So good to have you here. Juju, 
Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up in Australia and how that contributed to this experience being such a big turning point for you? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one. So one experience I remember is, well, I remember a couple experiences from very young before school. You could say my first kind of racist um, experiences being with my parents um, in a car park. Um, and I think there was like two of those types of experiences. And, you know, um, I don't remember exactly what was said, but I remember one of them was, you know, go back home to your country or you don't belong here. And this was in a car park. And I remember the emotions, um, and the aggression towards my parents. And I remember, you know, just holding onto my parents' hand, being really confused about what, why are they, why are they getting angry at us, or um, yeah, why, why aren't they friendly, or you know? So, um, and that was from before school. I was very, very young, and that wow. has stuck with me. Mm. Um, I remember through school, like bringing lunches to school, and people just being so disgusted by what I was eating um, because I was eating Filipino food, um, which was not, you know, a sandwich, a Vegemite sandwich. It was, you know, <laughs> rice and, you know, casser- like these stewy type things. And, um, um, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> um, God, it's the place. It's called <laughs> work feels. It's the place for all yeah. emotions. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess growing up, you just kind of these things happen, and you just address it at the time, and you you don't get time to reflect um, on those Mm. situations. In in those situations, you kind of think, oh, okay, well, um, that's not accepted here, or that's not how they think. So, in those situations, every time you kind of have to change what you think, what you believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I guess with every comment or um, like uh, interaction that points out your otherness uh, mm-hmm. is a situation where it, it chips away at your culture. So mm. um, does that make sense? So every comment, yes. every interaction is a chip away like you chip away part of your culture so that you avoid having those things said to you or having those interactions again um and so now i'm at a point where like i've realized there's this huge chunk of my culture that i've removed from my knowledge from my way of life um, without me even realizing it because I've had to live in a society that you've had to look a certain way, you've had to act a certain way. Um, and yeah, so I guess, you know, I thought about my daughter and I was imagining her mm. having these things said to her, um, having these interactions. And I was like, I just can't have that for her. She's got, you know, this, um, her trying, her trying to figure out her cultural identity and tr- trying to navigate that. I this 
situation, what happened at work made me realize that this is something I needed to help her with. Um, and any other, mm. anyone else who's, you know, going through these same struggles is you, you shouldn't have to change what you believe in, um, you know, what events you celebrate or holidays you celebrate just because the place that you're at, where you're living, where you choose to live in, um, isn't so accepting of it. Mm. And yeah. this, like, ass- assimilation is really a thing of the past. You don't need to... You don't need to be a part of the pack. Mm. You don't need to be, you know, one one of the sheep <laughs> in Australia. Yeah, to, um, exactly, you know, yeah. You sh- we should all be able to be uh, exactly who we are and, cel- and yeah. celebrate all of our cultural differences. Yeah, I get, yeah, bringing your whole self to work, is, it can be daunting. It, yes. But, like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's only because we're, we're living in a system that doesn't embrace your whole self. Mm-hmm. And um, I think un- until we start as a society being able to accept everything that makes the person different more like the more accepting society becomes the more comfortable people are going to feel to bring their whole selves to work or everywhere Mm. anywhere and everywhere and I think more and more people are doing it now Um, Mm. I'm definitely you know going to be bringing my whole self to work now and sharing this experience hasn't been an easy one for me, but I know that this share in sharing my story, I can help give people the confidence to be able to bring their whole self to work, to school, wherever yeah. they go. Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to say, as as soon as you st- as soon as you start doing it, it it's the the daunting thing of being like oh gosh like what what backlash am I going to cop from this but then more often than not it is nice when you bring your whole self to work and then you kind of see a little flow and effect from that and you see someone else being a bit more comfortable or someone else opens up about their life their identity their culture anything and I think yeah that's the beautiful um the, the beautiful outcome of it's 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 like yeah. a col- it has to be a collective movement whether it's in a workplace yeah. in a school in a, a whole community yeah. um yeah we all just exactly. need to keep doing little bits and it creates a huge yeah. huge change yeah and i think it also makes other people think about you know in your workplace oh okay well maybe i need to do a little bit more research on this topic or mm-hmm. um like it's there's so many touch points um, for when you are able to accept who you are and are then able to just be your full self in whatever space you're in. It's a powerful thing. Definitely. And in terms of finding the kind of courage to do that, it feels like an intimidating thing to kind of go against the grain. Like you were in your team, you didn't have a necessarily like strength in numbers where you could connect with other employees that had a, had a similar experience and had experienced 
a sort of othering. But I yeah. guess when it comes to the workplace, like if you can find strength in numbers, then perhaps that's a way to build that courage. You were able to just step up and just say that's enough and from now yeah. on I'm not standing for that anymore and I'm going forward living so aligned with my values which is a really brave move particularly mm-hmm. when you're in a workspace that isn't necessarily a safe space to take yeah. a stand and and speak out for listeners that might be thinking I don't feel safe in this space um, perhaps it is sometimes about leaning on others to, to slowly find that strength in numbers and and be able to create that change rather than kind of doing it alone. Yeah, yeah. I'm also lucky, like, for me to be able to just step away from mm. my job, um, that is the privilege that I have. Um, and I'm lucky to be able to just, you know, walk away and not necessarily have to think about the financial side of things which a lot of people in my situation probably won't have so you know they do stick it out um, because they need to pay bills they need to feed their families so um, I do see this as you know me coming out sharing my story as a way for me to start raising awareness and getting people to, you know, businesses, organisations to look at how they can be more inclusive and diverse um, in spreading the, like, bringing more awareness to what can be changed within the workplace. Um, It'll just be nicer for everyone for sure. And particularly if you're a business leader or a manager in your workplace, the responsibility really sits with leadership to create safe spaces because safety yeah. and culture comes from the top. Um, so yeah. to, to, to unlearn and relearn and have open conversations at work is really crucial and what is your yeah. opinion? Is there a real fine line between coming to to people within your workplace and saying, can you educate me or can you tell me how I should do this and putting that burden on, on someone who may be experiencing microaggressions? Do you think it really is a two-way collaboration or do you think that managers managers should just do their homework and it shouldn't really have to be that combined effort it should just really be like your job to look after my psychological safety like how do you see that yeah um yeah no that's a really good point um and because I've always been the one addressing these issues it's only natural for the you know people to ask me you know what 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 do like what learning do do I do this um so yeah no it's 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 really easy to put that responsibility on the person addressing it right because yeah they're the only ones with the issue because they're the only ones that are um addressing it um and you can ask for input like you can ask me questions that's fine I completely understand that everyone's on I guess a different 
place on the journey. So, you know, mm. everyone's knowledge is going to be different. Everyone's experience of, you know, what the issue is, is going to be different. But yeah, no, there is a difference between collaborating and then like putting responsibility on the other person. Mm, um, sure. And it's like come to for the uh, white person or like the, the majority person in this situation to come into the situation prepared not just not just mm. like organize a meeting and be like, oh hey, can you come and tell me how to like fix a, a, a racism problem in the office or um, you know and any other kind of identity or cultural um, sensitivity uh, in the office just by purely asking the person who's experiencing it to do all the work. Yeah. It's like I think yeah, pe- yeah people need to come. Uh, very well prepared, um, you know, having having done some research um, and and be ready to have yeah a, co- a collaborative discussion and not not just like shifting the burden on onto someone. Yeah, mm. yeah, and also um, just taking you outside of the equation. Like mm. it's not about you, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and it's not we're not trying to question whether you're a good person or not. It's, yeah. you, you kind of really need to look beyond what's happened, what was said, or the interaction and look beyond that and see what, see, look at the issue for what it really is on the yeah. bigger scale. On yeah. like a systematic level. Yeah. And how society has, contributed to the wiring of a person to only see that white perspective like not to say that's an excuse we all obviously have a responsibility to unwire ourselves and unlearn if we've been raised in a white dominant society Um, but yeah taking yourself out of it um, and that kind of helps you also move forward and figure out okay how, how do we move past this moment and and do better yeah on that note, uh, Ryan and I have had really just such a privilege to be able to step into your world and your story. In terms of takeaways, if our listeners could walk away with one thing from this episode, like what, what do you want people to walk away with? Firstly, thank you for um, giving me the space to be able to share my story. Um, it's been really amazing and a healing process for me also. In terms of what I want people to take away with, the solutions to all the problems of the world today begin with us embracing all of our differences. That involves recognizing and challenging the current system we're living within. We need to incorporate and include all voices and perspectives and having more of these types of conversations as well. Now is the time to speak up. There's this Indigenous organisation I've connected with in the past called Sevgen and they taught me this Indigenous um, saying um, that says that our actions of today will affect seven generations into the future. So, you know, we all have a part to play in the workplace, at home and anywhere else we go. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Juju. We love you. Love you too. Before we close out the episode, 
Um, we want to make sure that people know where to find you. Uh, this has been such a transformational few weeks for you. Um, and we're so excited to see uh, what has kind of come off the back of this experience. Um, do you want to tell the listeners, um, you know, where they can find you and, and what you're up to? Yeah. I guess from this experience, it's given me a newfound purpose. Uh, I don't think it's really new as I've always put people on the planet at the center of my work, but I guess the difference now is that I've been really able to identify the root and all of the issues that I've been trying to address in my work and really focus my energy into like spe- a specific area. So I founded Tata, which is a Tagalog mm-hmm. word meaning brand, logo, mark, trademark. And it's through Tatak that I will work with businesses on their brand. Um, and we also provide design and marketing support. But I believe the foundations of a business begin with their brand and it influences the workplace culture, their product, manufacturing, marketing, even the environment around them. And it can also shape the industry. So, and we're actually now working with Kind Enterprises and I'm really excited about the progress we can make in this space with our powers combined. I also founded Balik, which is another Tagalog word meaning come back, return, going back. So this is my journey to rediscovering and reconnecting with my Filipino roots expressed through fashion, design and art. I'm also on a mission to create Australia's biggest database of Filipino businesses here in Australia. Mm. I want to bring us all together and as a collective make it easier for Australia to experience our culture uh, as well as educate everyone what it means to be Filipino. So if you're listening and you're a Filipino business owner, reach out. And if you know of one, share it with me. I do have quite a few projects on the go at the moment. So um, if you visit my website, judithmarieautiz.com, you can check out all of the projects that I'm currently working on. Amazing. Amazing. You are a busy woman. You are a superstar, (laughs) Juju. (laughs) As, as you always have been, but it's so, um, yeah, beautiful to see these incredibly authentic ventures that, that are, are, they're just so you. Mm. It's fabulous. Yeah. I love it. And, and good yeah. luck. Exciting times. Yeah, definitely. Yes, good, good luck. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Juju. Thanks, Bye. Juju. Bye. All right, team, thanks for listening to our massive first episode. We really appreciate you coming on this journey. We've learned so, so much through this process, and we really hope you have too. If you want to learn more, we'll be putting all of Irfan and Juju's details in the show notes, so you can just scroll down and click a rooney onto their profiles. Uh, we really encourage you to follow them online, engage in their brilliant work, and support what they do. If this episode raised any issues for you or if you've experienced racism or any other form of discrimination at work, you can go to Reach Out Australia's website. They have a really useful step-by-step guide on how to approach situations uh, such as racism um, and a few other forms of discrimination. We'll also put that link in our show notes. And Irfan's website also has some brilliant resources, so please go and check that out. And finally, you can follow us at WorkFeelsPod on Instagram. 
can head over to our website to learn more and share your story with us. If you have a story from the workplace, um, you might not be ready to articulate it or write it down or record it just yet, um, but you think you might want to share it on the pod, you can also just send us a message and just say, hey, I've got a story. Let's find a way for you to comfortably share that with us. It can be kind of a vulnerable experience to throw your story out there. and We want to make sure that it is as comfortable, um, a comfortable a process as possible. So yeah, just drop us a message and, and we'll go from there. Okay, team. So our next episode, we are going to start our all staff email series. So in between each guest episode, Edda and I will be discussing relevant workplace topics, weaving in some current news and statistics and making some wild and fun predictions on the future of work, which is one of our favorite topics. But for now, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Let us know if you liked the episode. Let us know if you didn't like the episode. We are all ears. Hopefully you did really like it. You made it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, well, welcome to the end. Welcome to the end. <laughs> I'm Edda. And I'm Ryan. Oh, no. And not this. End. No, sorry. Start again. <clears throat> I'm Edda. I'm Ryan. And this is work. Is work. Is work. Feels. Feels. Ah, fuck it.